Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. diamond. Experience! It is Monday, August 25th, 2014, and this is episode number 23 of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and hopefully this podcast brings you some sort of entertainment on your Monday or whenever you may be listening. It's been another fairly busy week. Uh, It's crazy to think, and I've been mentioning this the last couple of weeks, but as of today, we have two games left in the Wahoo season, which it is very going to be very relaxing. I'm still kind of curious as to what the future holds for me, but as of right now, I'm just ready for the season to be over so I can have a little bit of downtime to actually relax and figure out what I'm going to do over these next few months or possibly even longer, depending on if I go back to the Wahoos or not. I'm not sure yet. But over the past week, um, I have gotten to do a couple of fun things. Uh, I did get to see the new Ninja Turtles movie, and it surprisingly wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That seems to be the general consensus of what everybody's been saying that's seen it. Uh, Expectations were very, very low going in. I've really bashed this movie from the beginning since I found out it was going to be made and that Michael Bay was going to be producing it, but... The positives are the Turtles' personalities were portrayed very accurately. In my opinion, Michelangelo was, of course, the comedic one of the group, Donatello, the tech guy, Raph, the badass, Leo, the leader. And uh, that aspect I really liked. The fact that they're so big still bothers me, and I definitely would not have done that if I had been the one making the movie. But some negatives... um, I didn't like the guy who played the voice of Splinter. It's I can't remember his name, but he's from the show Monk. And good actor, but I didn't think that his voice really fit Splinter. And they also tried way too hard to tie everything together as far as, you know, this happened for this reason and it connects to this thing. And that thing actually connects to another, another thing and so on and so forth. And I, I just... It seemed to me like they were trying way too hard to do that. And another positive, I did like uh, the Shredder. Shredder was actually pretty badass. The excessive use of knives that he had, or blades, whatever you want to call them, I wasn't a fan of, but the way he fought was actually really, really cool. So I would go see it if you're a Ninja Turtles fan. I probably won't go to the theater to see it again. I may not ever even watch the movie again. I'm not sure, but if, which has been confirmed, so I guess I shouldn't say if, but I'll probably watch the sequel just to see what they do with it. I I didn't hate it. I liked it more, actually, than the third Ninja Turtles movie where they went back to ancient Japan, which most people don't like that movie anyway. It's better than that one, but it's not as good as the first two. So I was surprised. It's it's a fun, entertaining summer movie, but I would still keep your expectations low if you're going to see it. And right before I started doing this intro, I'm doing this intro on Sunday morning, I just watched the new 
episode of Doctor Who, the season premiere of season eight of Doctor Who, featuring the full debut of Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor, or 13th if you count John Hurt. But the episode itself was okay. It wasn't awful, but it definitely wasn't great by any stretch, which someone had commented on Facebook that they didn't care for the episode. And after thinking about it, every premiere that features the debut of the new Doctor in Doctor Who kind of has the same formula where you don't know how he's going to act. He disappears for a period of time, but ultimately comes back and saves the day. And then you you can kind of see the the Doctor, the personality traits of the Doctor while the new actor is still putting his own twist on it. And I really like what Peter Capaldi is going to bring to the table. I, you see glimpses of it where he, where he still has that eccentric aspect to him, but I think he's going to be a little bit darker. He's not going to be as flirty or as friendly, as sympathetic as Matt Smith or David Tennant might have been. So I, I'm excited to see what he does. And it's if you're a Doctor Who fan, obviously you've already watched it or are planning to watch it. But I thought Capaldi did a very good job. The actual episode itself, like I said, was okay. The story was, it was decent. It was enough to keep me interested, but it, it wasn't the best Doctor Who episode by any stretch, but I think now that they've gotten the reintroduction of the Doctor or introducing the new Doctor out of the way, I think the episodes are going to be much better. So I, I'm not I'm not worried about it in the slightest. And next week you'll actually get to hear some pretty good Doctor Who discussion with Lisa Goodness from The Actor Factor, who I interviewed late last week. Her episode will be airing uh, next Monday. She's a big Doctor Who fan, really big into the nerd and geek culture, so I would uh, definitely check that out. But this week, I'm interviewing someone that is also from the world of film. Her name is Carrie Hunter, who is... I've mentioned the meet and greet that I went to back in January where I met a couple of my guests and made a lot of good connections from. Well, she is the one that actually organized it. So it was really nice you know, getting to talk to her and formally thank her for that because it's obviously helped me out a lot, not just with getting this podcast off the ground, but working in other projects as well. And you get to find out how she got into film, what she does you know, currently with her job at WEAR Channel 3 and several other things as well. And she tells a lot of really cool stories about how she got into the industry and people that she's met and everything. And it's, it's really, really good. And I hope you guys enjoy it. So sit back and listen to this awesome conversation I had with Carrie Hunter. And we're back on the Derek Diamond experience with my special guest this week, filmmaker extraordinaire, Miss Carrie Hunter. Carrie, how you doing? You're going to make my like ego inflate by using big words like that. Don't do that. Well, that's that's the idea. <laughs> Got to boost up the guest confidence, I guess. I'm not going to be able to get out the front door, you know. <laughs> well, you can just leave your ego here and Okay. Sounds sounds like a plan. Yeah. So, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, just got off of work. 
And that makes two of us. It feels like uh, it should be Friday already. We're doing this on a Tuesday. Yeah. And I'm already wishing it was Friday. I don't know why, you know, we have to go through that whole nine to five, having like a day job and stuff and being adults and paying bills. That kind of sucks. It it does suck. (laughs) I just want to stay home and watch Archer on Netflix all day. I am all about that. (laughs) All Uh, about that. Have you ever watched Archer before? Uh, No, but Archer, uh, you know, that's actually uh, the animation. It takes place up in Atlanta. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. One of the the films that I was doing um, Gripen Electric for last year, the director had come down from Atlanta and he's an animator on Archer. That's awesome. He's a pretty cool dude. He's very knowledgeable. But <laughs> yeah, that that's a show I recently got into. I mean, I, I watched like one or two episodes and thought it was dumb, but a bunch of coworkers were like, "No, you got to keep watching." And it's it, it's a very acquired humor, but it's pretty funny. I've heard good things. I I kind of uh, I I watch one show at a time, and then I'll binge watch it till the end, and then I'll pick another one. So that's definitely like on the list of things to explore. But right now, I'm kind of on a fantasy medieval. Kick. Oh, nice! So <laughs> I, I do like fantasy medieval stuff. Like, what specifically are you watching? Um. Well, it's mostly BBC. Uh, BBC nice. television. Um, I just finished watching uh, BBC's Robin Hood, which I wish oh, they had more they had seasons. A Robin Hood. That's cool. Oh, it is so good. Like, it, so many of the shows I start watching, I don't read anything about them until I get close to the end, and then I find out that they've been canceled prematurely, and then my heart breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those shows that gets uh, canceled prematurely. Because the actors left to become American stars. What How dare were they, they thinking? I, British television is so much better than American television. Like, just generally way cooler. But yeah, my, my current one, it's not as good, but I've been on a Merlin kick. And uh, it's got Anthony Head in it uh, from Buffy. The mm-hmm. old, I'm not even sure that's how you say his last name. But... I really like him, and he's in this as, like, a grumpy old king, and, yeah, I really enjoy watching him be angry toward everyone else. It really just makes my day. That's awesome. Have you ever watched Sherlock? Love Sherlock. Uh, Sherlock is amazing. It's one of my favorite shows. Anything by Stephen Moffat, like, he's just unfreaking believable Yeah, he's brilliant. Awesome. Have you ever seen Coupling? I have not. Okay, you need to watch that because that's like one of his early shows and it is the funniest shit that you will (laughs) ever watch in your life. It's only like four seasons, but it is... Imagine the show Friends set in England, except instead of about stupid social stuff, it's all about sexual awkwardness and that's coupling and way more brilliant. But very funny. Very funny. I'll have to check that out. And it's called Coupling? Coupling. Sweet. It's one of those things, watch more than one episode. Because, like, the first episode, you're like, this is so weird and foreign to me. I don't understand. And then you watch the second one, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I love this. (laughs) So you have to. 
A lot of things you have to give it more than one episode because the first episode's kind of like, we're just trying to figure it out. You have to introduce everything, (laughs) which if you think about it, a lot of shows are like that, even with their first couple of episodes. Definitely. That's, That's what I tell people about Breaking Bad. They'll watch the first couple of episodes and they'll say, oh, this show's horrible. I'm like, you've got to keep watching. And then once you get past the first half of season one, it gets really good. I think with any television show, you have to give yourself the time to really fall in love with the characters. And you, one episode isn't... I mean, you're talking about 45 minutes to yeah. delve into a character's psyche. And sometimes that's automatic. Like when I watched Battlestar Galactica, automatically fell in love with Cara Thrace. Like, she is so wonderful. But there's other shows that... It's not quite that same immediate head over heels kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm trying to think, Archer is really the only thing I'm watching right now. I really want to watch uh, House of Cards. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Good. It's really good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of friends that watch it, and they just they can't get over how amazing Kevin Spacey is in that show. Kevin Spacey is really good at playing an evil son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, scarily good. And it's funny because everybody says he's, like, the nicest person on the face of the earth. That's usually how it goes, though. People that play the villains end up being really nice in real life. I can see that. I've I've mentioned this on previous interviews, but I think it'd be awesome to play a villain just because you'd get to act a way you don't get to in real life and you can get away with it. A lot of my actors talk about that. A lot of them, uh, they're always wanting to play things that they're not normally seen as. Mm -hmm. And they said that it's way more fun. And actually, one of my acting instructors, uh, G. Murray, says that she always loves playing the the evil woman, the, Mm -hmm. the... the witch or the temptress or because she says she just she just enjoys it it's it's so bland to play the good guy so yeah i i can see that which uh speaking of kevin spacey uh did you ever see the movie seven i did a long time ago but i don't remember very much about it it's where he kills uh seven different people uh relating to the seven deadly sins and he is awesome and that he's only in you only see him in like the last 10 or 15 minutes but he's just great. Yeah. Absolutely great. So growing up were you always a big fan of movies and TV shows and things like that? Um I've always been a fan of of stories and I I was more into reading when I was a kid and I I come from a very very sheltered uh background. So a lot of the films that a lot of the people I went to film school with or that I work with now saw when they were kids, I hadn't had the opportunity to see until like halfway through college. Mm -hmm. So uh, my background is more, um, more, more books, more, more literary and uh, documentary work. I, I watched a lot of documentaries when mm-hmm. I was growing up. Yeah, documentaries are really good. I, I wasn't into documentaries as much when I was a kid, but as I've gotten older, I really love, especially if they can tell the story in a unique way, instead of it just being a you know, talking head, explaining what happens with a little bit of B-roll. If you can actually 
add cool graphics and text to it, and it just it makes it pop and stand out more, which is great. Um, did you are you from uh, Pensacola? Uh, I I moved here when I was three years old, so I don't really remember anything oh, okay. else. So I mean, for the majority of your life, you've you've lived here. Yes. And then you, I could be wrong, but you actually went to college at Florida State, correct? Yes, I I had the amazing opportunity to go to the film school there, and I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but it was a very um, very eye-opening and educational experience. I learned a huge amount there. So, what made you decide to go there? Um, well, it's kind of funny. I I really didn't want to try to think of how to say this. Um, originally, I was looking at going into the sciences. I was interested in anthropology and physics and. Um, I had been making documentary films for uh, History Fair and Science Fair, and my dad found out about this program at Florida State that was supposed to be really good that I could explore that further. And I think he was hoping that um, I'd have a little bit more in the way of economic opportunity than some of the sciences I was interested in. Mm -hmm. So I kind of ended up, I was already making movies, but I didn't know that I was going to try to make a living making movies. I thought I was going to end up doing something else. And my dad was like, well, you might want to check this out. And I just got really lucky and got in and it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the building and it's it's kind of a surreal experience because you hear so many good things about, oh, this is one of the best film schools in the country and once you go in it's kind of I, I felt kind of surreal when you know went there I didn't actually go to the school but you know I've been in the building a couple of times and it's just it's pretty awesome just walking through the studios there is mind-blowing like yeah. they're they're huge sound, sound stages and I mean now now that I'm older and I've been to some bigger markets I've seen much bigger sound stages but I mean Nothing else that I've seen in Florida compares to what is at the FSU Film School. But to me, even more than that is the quality of the professors that they got there was incredible. And mm -hmm. I mean, my first semester of film school, my favorite professors uh, were uh, Stuart and Vicki and... Stuart had won a special effects for a film called What Dreams May Come. And I didn't ever tell him this, but that had been like one of my favorite films when I was back in middle school. Uh, absolutely love that movie. Uh, and I got to, to FSU, and here's the man that's behind all of these amazing visual effects with the, the world created out of paint. Mm -hmm. And he was just an amazing teacher. Like he... You know, when you're when you're 18, you're very um, insecure. You know, you're you don't have a lot of confidence when you're just leaving your family for the first time. And Stuart had this way of building you up and making you feel like you were 
capable of doing things that you didn't think that you're capable of. And he was just an amazing person. Um, and he's now at Savannah College of Art and Design. But um, at the time, we, we had him the entire first semester. And then we also had a, a lady named Vicki Meyer, who was our screenwriting teacher. And she was a ghostwriter for all of these big Hollywood movies. And she couldn't tell us everything that she had worked on. Whenever you ghostwrite, you sign a contract that says you're not allowed to say what you've worked on. But we had heard that she had been one of the ghostwriters for Shrek. And then there were a dozen others that were like, oh, that's holy cool. crap. But she was another one of those um, those people that just made you feel capable. You know, even though you were just just finding your feet and still trying to figure out who you are as a filmmaker. And Vicky taught me how to write. And I mean, I don't claim to be the best writer, but the reason I can write as well as I do is because of Vicky, because she really pushed you. Like she, she was encouraging, but she also like, she, she expected the best. And if you didn't give her your best, she'd call you out on it. And I, I just really appreciated her. But, I mean, there there were just so many great people. I mean, Richard uh, Portman had done the uh, sound mixing for, like, The Godfather, and I think he worked on Star Trek. And, I mean, he'd just, like, hang out in the lobby, and he was, he was an interesting guy. And then uh, Rex. <laughs> we had this uh, teacher named Rexford Metz who uh, had done all That's these. That's a cool name. He, he was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Okay, so imagine this like 60-something-year-old man, right? And, I mean, he's he's worked on all these big movies. He Famous scene from Jaws. You know the, the scene where it's like um, the underwater looking up at the girl mm-hmm. from below? He shot that. He was the underwater really? cinematographer from Jaws. Yeah. Wow. And, he had the slates from Jaws that, like, they had made special slates that were in the shape of, like, shark teeth. And that's what they used the entire time on that's Jaws. That's awesome. It's really cool. But, I mean, we were all, like, 19 years old, right? hmm <laughs> And Rex was a little bit of a dirty old man. <laughs> and uh, he was always telling us stories about, you know, you know, girls, when I turned 50, my... 19-year-old girlfriend threw me a birthday party. So, you oh, know. Jesus. <laughs> but I mean, he was he was actually very sweet. Um and he he would flirt with us, but like nothing nothing right. happened. Like right. it, at least not that I know of. Maybe some of the other girls. <laughs> but <laughs> he was he was just really funny, but had all kinds of stories like and I mean just stuff that sounded like the the behind the scenes that he told us about was like a movie in itself. Like he was telling us about in the eighties how they almost always had cocaine hidden on the grip trucks and like all of this crazy shit. Oh wow. And he was like, Yeah, back in the eighties I snorted enough cocaine that I could have bought like a multi million dollar mansion. Mm. And I was just like, What is this? Like, oh my gosh, like I and I mean coming from such a conservative area yeah it had to have been a bit of a shock for you oh i i had major culture shock i didn't always deal well with it Mm -hmm. because most of our most of our teachers and most of my classmates there were from a very different culture than i'm from Mm -hmm. because i mean 
I mean, you you know this. Our our culture in the Escambia County, Pensacola, Mobile area is uh, fairly conservative. Yeah. And most of my classmates were from South Florida. And I mean, from very well-off families. Like, mm-hmm. when I say very well-off, I mean, like, some of my classmates were, like, senators' children and stuff like that. Like... Yeah. And, like, we had a couple that were, like, heirs to literally oil fortunes. Like, some very well-off kids that were going to this program. And here I am, like, a step away from being the same as my trailer trash family in Alabama. And, uh, yeah, I I had some major culture shock. And just the, I, I mean... I try to control my language a little bit, but it, I, I I learned to cuss at Florida State because everybody cussed there. Yeah. Like you couldn't go into the room, uh, into a classroom without somebody be like, "Effing this, effing that, effing." Yeah. Like, you, like you never went into a classroom where people weren't cussing, and that was like when I was just going to college was crazy. So. It shouldn't have been probably as crazy as it was to me, but I remember just being shocked. Yeah, I I can understand that. I mean, we were talking off air. I'm from a really small town that's, you know, just north of here. And even coming from there to going to school in Pensacola was not as big of a culture shock to me, but it was was definitely different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I got used to it. And even it was a little bit more when I started working here. And it's kind of a similar thing because I've noticed that since I've started working in Pensacola, my use of profanity has increased quite drastically, but it's all good. Um, You mentioned that before you went to college, you were already making movies. What made you decide that, you know, what made you decide to do that and then ultimately pursue it? Um, When I... When I was in middle school, I, I was really interested in science and history. And I thought that I wanted to either be an archaeologist or anthropologist or... And at, at a certain point, I was even, like, really interested in nuclear physics, which is, like, something kind of left field. It's weird. I was interested in a lot of things. Right. And... What I would do when I was a kid is, and I mean, I started doing this when I was probably in the second grade, is I would find a topic I was really, really interested in, and I would study that for like six months to a year. Like, I'd check out every book that I could get my hands on, and, you know, one season it would be Greek archaeology, mythology, and then the next time it would be um, environmental history, like with the Exxon Valdez oil spill, like it, it kind of went all over the place, but I'd pick a subject and be focused on it. And I started to end up doing something uh, called history fair. And it's this competition where you create a project. It can be a board, a play, a documentary, or a paper. And I started doing it in the board category And I did that for like two years. And then my friend Alex, who wanted to be a filmmaker, 
um, in the seventh grade was like, hey, we should do a, a documentary instead of doing a board. There's less competition. <laughs> and it'll give me a chance to make movies and you can do your project and get a free trip maybe to state. And that sounded good to me. And we ended up making this uh, this short documentary and it was it was a lot of fun and we did really well and the teachers ended up using it as like educational supplements to things oh, cool. they were doing. Um, and I learned about interviewing people, like doing camera interviews and stuff like that. And then the next year, um, we I ended up doing another film by myself because um, Alex decided it wasn't as much fun as he thought it was. And uh, he, I, I ended up doing a film about Jacques Cousteau. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in him because he had done archaeology. He had been involved in all of these scientific pursuits, and he has explored the world, and he had been an inventor. But the thing I found out about Jacques Cousteau that was really interesting is that he kind of was a filmmaker before he started doing all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he started making uh, films prior to World War II, and he was already making movies by the time he was experimenting with creating snorkels and before he started experimenting with creating um, scuba gear. Mm-hmm. And he documented this whole process through film. And he created some of the world's first documentaries about underwater. And what we remember him for is mostly in the 60s and the 70s of making these exploration documentaries. But basically, he used his passion for film to take him all over the world. He was able to go places and do things that most people could never dream of and be able to share that with them. And I thought that was so unbelievably cool. And I think that that's, when I was in the eighth grade, I was working on this, that's where it started. And through high school, I kept, I I made one of these films every year. And even as a 13, 14 year old kid, I was going and interviewing people that otherwise, like, I had no reason to talk to, like, my freshman year of high school, I interviewed Janet Reno, and she was in the middle of running for governor, and she was friends with uh, the person I was making a film about at the time, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. She's an environmentalist, and Janet Reno was in my my film, and I mean, that was just amazing. That's crazy. I, I mean, a 14-year-old kid getting to talk to That's you. awesome. Janet Reno. And then, like... Um, the 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 Cousteau documentary. I got a chance to talk to a professor um, named Dr. Hernkind that discovered uh, something called the Spiny Lobster March. He had discovered that these lobsters go all the way from Maine to Florida. They migrate every single year, and they do it in single file. And I mean, like this was a huge uh, discovery, and the field of marine biology and here's this you know amazing scientific mind that's talking to me and I'm 12 years old like I'm getting to I I mean it was just incredible and 
it doesn't take you too long to figure out that this really does take you to places and let you meet people Mm -hmm. and explore things that you would never get to do if you were in any other field. That's true. So, uh, I think even though my dad kind of found the film school, but I think even in high school, I knew that I wanted documentary film to stay in my life with what I was planning on doing. I thought I was going to go into the sciences and then the documentary would be kind of something that was integrated into it. Right. And it's kind of been that part of my life has kind of fallen away and it's become more of a focus on film itself. So I don't know if that makes sense. Oh no, it it does. That's kind of cool how you started out like that. I mean, getting to talk with Janet Reno at such a young age is pretty crazy. She invited us to her house. Like we went, oh, we, wow. went we went down to Miami and uh, it was, I'm sure you can't do this anymore. Uh, she's, she's got more, uh, she's probably got more people around her and uh, she's not as, uh, I, I don't think she's as, as accessible as she once was, mm-hmm. but um, her her phone number was in the phone book <laughs> and we just called it up and uh, we were able to get in contact that way. And they, uh, she had a couple of uh, family members that live on the, the same property. Uh, and it's, she lives in the house that her mother built. Her mother uh, actually dug the foundations by hand back in, I'm going to say the 1940s or 1950s, her mother built the foundations wow. of this house down in Miami. And, uh, th- I mean, she has, she has an interesting history herself. Like people know her as former attorney general dealing with the whole Ilian Gonzalez thing and Clinton and things like that. But, um, her, her mother, um, if I remember correctly, she was a, a journalist, and her mother was kind of like this pioneering woman herself. And it kind of makes sense when you look at Janet Reno, where she came from, of like this very independent woman in a time when women weren't independent. And then of course, she had these these kids that ended up going on to do really incredible things. I mm-hmm. mean, if you look at Janet Reno, like even though the 90s were starting to open up a lot of fields to women, it still was incredible to reach the heights of political office that she did. Like, that just... Yeah. I mean, it's still uncommon. But uh, she's she's just a very, very nice lady. Like, um, I don't know. I can't, I can't say enough good things about her because she was so incredibly kind and so smart. And, um, I've, I've dealt with a lot of politicians and there's not very many people that are as open as she, she acted. Um, I know how to explain it. I, my parents were really involved in the democratic party when I was, when I was a kid and, uh, I met a lot of politicians, both sides of the field and, Mm -hmm. Most people are very fake in politics, and it's it's interesting. Yeah, and then it's nice to meet someone that is not. 
especially like sometimes the reputation that people have in the media is just so different from when you meet them in real life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I she ended up coming back to she she ended up talking to my mom and finding out about her involvement in politics. They didn't know anything about each other before I went there. And then they started talking and my mom ended up later doing a bunch of fundraisers and stuff. And she ended up coming to Pensacola. So we ended up spending time outside of just this like one interview. Like we were around her, uh, quite a bit considering. Um, and I mean, we took her out to, to Fort Pickens and drove around Pensacola. And I mean, again, to be a teenager and get to do that was cool. But, um, no, there's just so many cool things that that you get to do if you've got a camera in your hands. And, yeah, I mean, people want to talk to you. Yeah. So. Yeah, people either want to talk to you or they run away from you. To me, at least the experiences I've had, it's pretty much both sides of the spectrum. They're either very uncomfortable or they're like, yeah, yeah, I want to do something on camera. That'd be great. I film pretty much constantly in my job and a lot of it is almost journalism style even though we um, my job is technically making commercials and promotions I end up filming a lot of everyday people mm-hmm. and what I found is that 85% of people want to be on camera 10% are really comfortable and that remainder 15% just despise the camera. But the the majority of the people you meet are interested in it. Because I mean it's a form, it's a way to express yourself. It's a, it's really the ultimate communication tool. Yeah. And I think most people recognize that. Um so I there are people that are scared of it, but sometimes what I've noticed is it's also in the way that you approach them and start talking to them. That's true, too. Too. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So when you when you were done with school, what was the first uh, film project that you worked on? A very failed documentary. <laughs> um. Now, I, when I was in school, the focus at FSU is narrative fiction. Right. And I thought going into the program that it would be, I would have more of a chance to do documentaries. But I, I think I only did a couple of really short journalism-esque projects when I was in college. But when I graduated, I came back and I started working um, for a local nonprofit called Chain Reaction. And I've worked with them before. Yeah, I've done a couple of videos with them. They're a really cool program. Uh, but I started making what I was hoping to be a feature documentary. And I worked as an AmeriCorps uh, Vista for them. And I was doing a bunch of promotional videos for their different programs. And I was also helping teach their kids how to do video. And I did right. this for over a year. And, um, but I could never, I shot all of this footage and I was trying to follow these kids kind of through the program for a year, but it just never quite worked. Like I, the, I never found my story and I was trying to do this like human interest piece kind of following 
thinking that I'd see like a curve and I never was able to capture that. And it may have been because I couldn't spend enough time with each individual child. I was probably spreading myself too thin Mm -hmm. for what I was trying to do. But I totally crashed and burned on that one. It was a mess. But uh, I learned a lot. And I, while I was doing this, I made a bunch of small projects that are probably the foundations of what helped me get my current job. Like I, I learned how to do basically PSAs and commercial style videos while I was working at Chain Reaction. But um, it, it was a good experience. It was just also a little bit of a failure. <laughs> well, but, some sometimes you learn the best things by failing. I, I definitely think that you have to be willing to crash and burn if you want to try to achieve big things. Mm-hmm. And... Every time you mess up, every time... I I mean, I know what I would do differently now. Yeah. I mean, I I would approach it completely differently uh, if I were to try to redo that. It's not something that I'm passionate about anymore to want to do that. And I kind of discovered... um, uh, Somewhere during that time, I ended up making a, a short comedy film... Uh, with Kevin, have you met Kevin Almodovar over in Fort Walton? I don't think so. He's a, he's got a company called Revive Media and I had, uh, done this one act play over at Pensacola State. I started, I kept taking classes, even though I was graduated from college, I kept just taking classes at Pensacola State, um, cause I didn't know what else to do. Like mm-hmm. I was just kind of lost for a while. And, um, so I was like, I guess I'll just try to do anything, do something, keep moving. And so I, I did the short play there and I contacted the playwright that I made the play from, and he gave me permission to be able to turn that play into a short film. And Kevin actually was my director of photography for that. And his company put up the gear for it and was just, I couldn't believe he did it. Like... I was so thankful that he did that, but uh, he was just really nice. Um, But kind of during that, I kind of started gravitating more toward narrative fiction and away from documentary. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with just my my personality and my taste changing as I get older. Right. So there are different things that I have to say now as an adult than I did when when I was a kid. There were different things that I was passionate about. And I think that that narrative film lends itself more to some of the things I'm interested in right now. Yeah. You said that working at uh, doing the chain reaction stuff helps you get your current job. What is your current job? Uh, I am a producer director at Channel 3. Uh, I am in the creative services department, which means I make commercials and I work on local uh, lifestyle television shows and um, I do PSAs and things like that. 
basically I provide additional content and advertising for the station. What are some of the specific things that you've worked on that like somebody might notice, say on TV or something? Hello, I'm Mark Tegenkamp, the $50 eye guy. <laughs> you did that? Embarrassingly, yes. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, it's it's not that embarrassing. Uh, Mark is actually um, a brilliant marketer. It's it's funny. Uh, a lot of the things that like kind of become uh, almost like local local color, mm-hmm. local flavor. Um, there's actually a fairly sophisticated thought process behind that like all of these things that people go on Facebook and they're like oh I absolutely hate this commercial and it's like you absolutely remembered that commercial yes yes we've done our job oh my gosh that's awesome so uh like the the $50 I guy is uh one of those things that like it does have some of that I can't believe somebody would do that but People remember it. That's true. It's very You don't have memorable. to like it or dislike it, but you just remember it. You know who he is. Yep, exactly. You know the hair. You know the glasses. You know what his kids look like. You cannot go into a restaurant with them without everybody looking at them. <laughs> like, you know who they are. And they're doing well because of it. That's and true. I always tell my clients, like... You may feel like people are going to look at you funny, but if they're looking at you, they're more likely to buy from you than if they don't know who you are. True. And the problem for most of our clients is nobody knows they exist. So if you're willing to take that kind of risk, if you're brave, if you're willing to kind of go into waters that you're uncertain of, there's some really good rewards to be had there and I mean Sandy Sansing is a prime example of that people bash Sandy Sansing's commercials right and left but they know who he is they know who he is and there's a reason why he has more cars out there than pretty much anybody else in Pensacola ready to sell it's because he's selling them yep and I mean absolutely brilliant marketing like you may think that it looks cheap but it is not cheap it is brilliant marketing yeah, I've actually worked with him. Uh, he's one of the sponsors uh, at the Wahoos, and we we usually go to all of his dealerships once a month because he sponsors our uh, employee recognition because he'll get an employee of the month, say, from Nissan, Mazda, all his dealerships, and it'll be like a 45-second video that we show before we honor our employees that day. We'll get them you know, on the dugout and give them a you know, just like a little pin or something. So just something like that. And whenever you watch the videos, it's exactly like his commercials. Mm-hmm. And is I remember it was, I was, I don't say starstruck, but the first time that I worked on one of those, I'm like, I feel like I'm doing an actual Sandy Sensing commercial. It's, it's awesome to be a part of that, that community. Yeah. And uh, the cool thing about Sansing and uh, really a lot of our local businessmen is that they really do get involved in our community. It's not just they're advertising to get money in. I mean, they are advertising to get money into their business, 
but a lot of them really do care about Pensacola and about the people here and they're trying to give back. Right. And I think that that's awesome. Like that is just really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what have been some, uh, some other things that you worked on? Cause I, I could be wrong, but did you do a commercial for, uh, Paracon? I did a Hey, It's Half Off, like way, way okay. back. Well, I've done two of them for that. That's kind of like a news promotion. And okay. I lose track sometimes of what I've done and what I haven't. But I, I remember doing a couple of, of we call them high hose Hey, It's Half Off. Oh, okay. For, but I, I know Erica very well. She's a sweetheart. She's wonderful. Yeah, we, uh, we went to... Paracon last year for another podcast that I do, and we actually got to do uh, interviews with some of the celebrities, and it was it was a lot of fun to do. Cool, cool. Now I I think it's I I'm not that into the whole convention scene, but I think it's awesome that that's springing up here in Pensacola. Yeah, Pensacon was ginormous uh, back in February. Cause I, I, I worked as part of the, the film crew and just seeing, you know, Friday it was packed, but not so packed that you were uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. Saturday was just awful because they actually had to turn people away from the main floor of the civic center because there were too many people wow. that were there. Like the fire marshal was there and said, you can only have this certain amount of people on the floor. And it was just, insane they i don't remember the exact number but it was way more than what they expected and it was arguably the biggest event that's been held here this year that's awesome that's really cool i didn't i didn't get a chance to go out to that one uh there's there's been several of them that that have seemed really cool Mm -hmm. but i i mean and definitely our film community has been uh interconnected with a lot of the conventions. Uh, I know a lot of our, our filmmakers have been involved in both Pensacon and Paracon. Um, and I've trouble the names of those two conventions are so similar that yeah. it's, it's people, so hard to keep people them confuse straight. them. Yeah. So uh, I know, I know Pensacon was from what I heard, it started back like in the eighties or something. And then it went on hiatus mm-hmm. and then Paracon, as far as like, it's, it's been around for several years and it had been going before they rebooted the Pensacon from what I remember. Right. But I mean, it's still, I don't know, like there, there's so many, there's so many of them and there's a bunch of other things that are kind of attached or like similar groups that it's hard to keep it all straight. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy how all of that, connects in some way like it's people I've met you know from Pensacon I've had on this podcast or I've worked with them with other uh, film projects which brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you you've done a couple of uh, like filmmaker meet and greets mm-hmm. uh, what made you decide to do those um well we we started the meet and greets not long after we started the Emerald Coast Film Group uh, this was uh, it was basically founded by a guy named Josh who kind of disappeared like three weeks later and we never saw again. It was founded by him, Jonathan Payton, and myself, and then Kevin Almodovar 
that who I mentioned earlier, um, was involved in that very early stages of it. And it's kind of been a thing of like people kind of come and go from it. But, uh, me, John and Kevin have pretty much been moderating it since it started. But, uh, John, uh, Jonathan Payton started the first meet and greet over in, uh, Navarre. And then he, uh, kind of went he he had to go traveling and doing other things with his job so he wasn't really involved as much anymore so uh me and Kevin kind of took it over and then I kind of ended up continuing it past when everybody else kind of seemed to have gone on to other things so this is really something uh John Payton started as far as the meet and greets and that we've kind of continued because what we saw happen immediately is that people started making more projects because they met people they could collaborate with. They had ideas. They felt empowered to go out and do it because they saw other people in the area that were doing it. And I think that a lot of the projects that we're seeing take place in the Pensacola area right now are a direct result from people meeting each other and Mm -hmm. realizing this is possible. We can make movies in our little town. Like we don't have to go to LA to be able to make something cool. Um, so it's, it's cool to have gotten the opportunity to facilitate that. I mean, I think it's something that, um, there was a need for it and there would have been something that came about to make that happen. But I definitely think it's cool that, um, you know, we, we got to be a part of it. So it's, uh, the, the meet and greets, it's basically everybody comes to a restaurant and then we talk to each other and find out who's working on what. And if anybody has a casting call or crew call, they tell everybody about it. And, um, if there's an event coming up like, uh, Pensacon or Paracon, uh, Erica comes out and Pensacon Steve Weiss comes out and he'll promote the, they'll promote the conventions there. And like, if they need people for camera stuff or whatever, they'll, they'll let people know about it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really cool to have that connection. And then, um, you know, uh, Naraj, a lot of the people he met for the actor factor, he kind of, he either met through the meet and greets or he met through AMC Talent, who she actually sends a lot of her actors to the meet and greets because she understands that a lot of us filmmakers will write parts specifically for people we know can pull them off. Right. And she wants us to know who they are so that we'll consider them. So. Yeah, that, that meet and greet uh, you had back in January was actually what got me working at Pensacon. And getting to be part of the actor factor, like, you know, having people on my show as well as actually being on set, you know, doing behind the scenes stuff and everything. So it it definitely helps. And it's networking is really the way to go when you're doing stuff like that, because like you said, that's how you meet people that, you know, are working on projects or might be interested in helping you with yours. It's definitely if if you're trying to make your own projects happen or if you're trying to find a job the only way to do that is to get to know the people that are in the area and it's it's not just here I've seen it in Mobile I've seen it when I went out to LA I've seen it in New York like there's the same 
idea of, and I, I don't want anybody to think that it's the, it's not what you know, it's who you know, that's bullshit. It's more of a thing of, it's who knows you that knows you can do something. Like, who knows you that knows that you're able to edit? Who knows you that knows you can pull off this type of character really well? Who knows you that knows that you're going to actually fucking show up when other people aren't going to freaking show up? Like, that is a thing. That mm-hmm. is a huge thing to know if people are going to be reliable. Right. And I've been on sets where actors were getting paid a buttload of money and didn't freaking show up. And agencies can't stand when they end up with an actor that does that. Um, and, I mean, I've been on sets where they were giving people a chance that had no experience. They were paying them to come out and PA like a pretty darn good rate and didn't show up. And it's like, what's wrong with you? And, of course, anybody that recommended that person, it looks bad on them. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to recommend that you get this crew position or this acting position if we know that you have a habit of showing up 30 minutes late or not showing up at all. So um, I guess what I'm getting at is there's this is more about building a reputation than it is networking. Networking is not in itself that great of a thing it's more of a people knowing that you're capable and you're reliable and that you're not an ass so yeah on a personal note and we were talking about this before we started recording but after uh at that first meet and greet that i mentioned whenever everyone had talked about you know introducing themselves and if they mentioned a particular project and then you said everybody just kind of mingle with yourselves. I was freaking out. I was absolutely freaking out. But I mean, it it all worked out because I, I met a lot of you know really good people. So I I didn't actually I don't think I've actually formally thanked you for doing that because it's uh and I also mentioned that anytime I've had someone that is involved with film or acting around here, three places or names have come up. The first is AMC Talent. The second is a class act studio, and the third is yours. Cool. So you made a difference. <laughs> That's kind of awkward, but I guess cool. Um, I, well, as far as as far as feeling nervous at the meet and greet, I'm sorry that that's. Well, it. No. I, I know, I know that it's. Gosh, I feel nervous at the meet and greets. Like there's so many people, and like you don't know who wants what or who needs what. And I mean, it can be very overwhelming sometimes. And every time I come from one, I feel drained. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I, I can I can understand that. And, um, but I, I do try to let everybody know that if, if they do come to a meet and greet and they feel lost, we've got certain people there that are there to try to help facilitate introducing you to people that have similar interests. Like, we... Usually we know about 60 to 70% of the people that show up and there's about, you know, 30% maybe that we don't know at all. And usually we know enough people that we can kind of make connections. Um, So I try to make it where it's out there that either me or Colleen Siner or Bob or Naraj or... 
And when Anne Marie from AMC Talent comes, like these are people to talk to that know the rest of the group and they can help make those introductions. And I feel like most of the time that works and that helps. There are some people that I um, feel like still get lost and I'm not really sure if, I mean, if anybody has any ideas of how to make that better. Um, but I, what I don't want to do is those cheesy corporate get-to-know-you um, activities. I've had people suggest that. And I know that personally, every time I have to do one of those get-to-know-you activities, I feel like punching somebody in the face. Those are so awkward. I yeah. hate them. And I don't want to put other people through that because I feel like if I'm feeling that way of really uncomfortable, then I don't want to put other people through it. It, it, I don't think that works. Yeah. So I feel like more of a natural just, it's like, hey, you like Sherlock? I like Sherlock too. Let's talk about Sherlock for 30 minutes. Like that's a better way to do things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, besides your job at Channel 3, are, are there any film projects that you're working on now? Uh, we're pretty much constantly working on something. Right now, uh, we, we're working on the third of uh, three short film projects. That's redundant. <laughs> we're working on the the third project for this month of short films that um i i'm doing with uh bob constance and um austin herman and matt wilkins uh we're basically making a series of films to try to get better at our craft we know that we're going to be trying to make a feature fairly soon and there are certain things that we're trying to get better at like one of those is sound and we're trying to get better at uh, special effects makeup, and we're trying to get better at editing and cinematography, basically everything. We're trying to make it look a certain way so that we don't waste a bunch of resources making a feature film that looks terrible. We want to make a really good-looking film, and we're basically doing exercises to get to that point. But um, we're, we're constantly doing something. And, I mean, sometimes the the two things that I kind of have just um, worked on the past, like, year and a half, two years, um, I, I work on a lot of other people's movies. I, I have a company that does uh, grip and electric rentals for uh, productions that are fully insured, that are, like, micro-budget films. And we've worked with some incredible filmmakers, especially coming in from other areas, like the the guy from from Archer that I was telling mm-hmm. you about coming in from Atlanta. That was awesome to get to help light his project. Um, and that, that was Limo Ride. I've posted all about that on Facebook. Like, they they made an incredible movie. And they, they shot that in Mobile and Gulf Shores and... Um, and then we also, uh, I, I put up equipment for, uh, Tim Driscoll's movie, The Lynx. Tim is out of Jacksonville and I'm trying to get him to come back to shoot another movie. Um, but we're, we're always negotiating something, trying to bring in projects. And I, I've been trying to bring in filmmakers from 
like like with Tim, and then I've got an, another filmmaker uh, named F.C. Raboth from Tallahassee that I'm trying to to bring in. That um, these are people that are very talented that have been able to learn things that here in Pensacola we may not actually have access to that kind of information or that kind of um, experience. So I'm trying to draw people here that have learned things that we need to work on and to try to give us an opportunity to meet people outside of our little group. Because the reality is we can't make it as an insulated community. Like Pensacola itself, like our our little production companies individually are not going to get anywhere just being insulated here. So we've got to reach out to these bigger markets. We've got to reach out to Atlanta and New Orleans and Los Angeles. And we've got to connect with these other filmmakers that are up and coming that are, you know, some of the top filmmakers of our generation, um, whatever that means. But, <laughs> uh, if we if we want to progress, and I don't know if that makes any sense, but I mean I've I've been working with a lot of people lately that I feel have a lot of potential. Like there's something that I've seen in them that seems like like they're gonna continue with this. I see a lot of people that start to make movies and then quit, and I'm not in a place anymore where I really want to deal with that um because I figured out what I want to do and I want to find other people that are going in the same direction and aren't going to stop Mm -hmm. and so I'm trying to find people that are going to push forward and that have dedicated themselves to this because I mean this it's very easy to say oh I want to make movies like that's awesome but it's another thing to be willing to spend 15, 16 hours in the rain, in the cold, in the heat with, like, not-so-good conditions and things breaking and, like, stuff happens. Um, there's very few people that are really willing to do what it takes. Yeah. So I've been trying to find those people. Yeah, I... I kind of lost my train of thought there. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. But no, that, that's, that's good that, you know, you're, you're looking for people that are progressing or want to progress instead of just quitting. And like you said, it's the area needs to expand and accept other things from other areas. If you want to get better, because if you stay in your bubble, then nothing's going to change. I mean, the, the most exciting Thing that I've seen come in here has been the sci-fi channel movies that Paul and Colleen Seiner have been bringing. I mean, we're talking about paid work. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars being poured into the local community. And most people have no idea that it's going on. And, I mean, unfortunately... I think that some of our, our local politicians and some of our, um, just the general public, I don't, I don't think they understand what we do or why it's important and the potential impact it could have on our, on our economy if this works. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if we could get the company that's been coming in here makes like 60 movies a year. If we could get them to come here regularly 
that could provide some really great jobs for local oh, people. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, Pensacola doesn't even have a film commissioner right now. No. We our, our film commissioner resigned, and uh, they talked about creating a new film commission, but nobody's acted on that when we've tried to reach out to the local government. Uh, we tried to talk to the Chamber of Commerce, and, like, just nothing's happening. And, I mean, I'm not versed enough in local politics to know how to make that move forward. But I think that if Pensacola is going to progress, not just for the film industry, but for everything, we've got to start trying to court more industry and more companies coming in here. And I'm not sure that a lot of the older families here really want to see that. Like, I think that there's this idea of we're a small town, we want to stay a small town, which is kind of good, but at the same time, we've got a huge number of young people but here But it's out not of progressive thinking, though. It, it's not. And, I mean, we've got a lot of people here that are living below the poverty line. We have a mass yeah. exodus of people in their 20s and 30s. Our opportunities for young professionals are very limited. And it's frustrating. And when we have an opportunity that is kind of looking us straight in the face right now and nobody wants to talk about it, it's, I mean, it, it's very frustrating. It, but I, I have high hopes for what, what's happening with the Sci-Fi Channel movies and I hope that as people realize what that's doing for our community that there will be more public support and that that demand will force some of our our local leaders to start putting resources into a local film commission. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, for if someone wants to join the Emerald Coast Film Group, it's a Facebook page, and I assume you just search for Emerald Coast Film Group. Um, if you want to get involved in the local film community, I highly suggest joining the Emerald Coast Film Group. You just search it on Facebook, it'll come right up. The other places uh, to look at are the Mobile Film Group. It's a little bit smaller, but the people in the Mobile Film Group are actually working more in the industry. And if you can get to know some of the Mobile filmmakers, like um, one of the cool things is they've got this thing called the Mobile Film Scramble. It's kind of, they don't have as many of them as they used to, but the Mobile Film Scramble is like this this contest where people get together and make a movie in like a week or two, and then they screen it at a local theater, and they have the kind of like a networking drinking session, uh, and the kids in Mobile are making incredible work, and they're working on real movies, like film films that you're seeing in the movie theaters like one of the films that just came out recently that they made over there was oculus it mm -hmm. had a karen um, jillian ah oh, she's absolutely beautiful ah oh, i don't disagree her. with that no one of my one of my friends was working um in the props department and was looking for like a, an art assistant and called me up and was like hey carrie you want a job and guess who you'll be working for with? And, of course, I'm working at Channel 3, and I almost quit. I came this <laughs> close to quitting. 
and I should have done it. Sorry, Daniel Hemi, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Please don't fire me. Um, but, uh, no, the, I mean, real movies are, are being shot over there. And, I mean, just it's, it's basically the same group that is providing a lot of the crew, and they all know each other. And it's not that difficult to get to know these people. Like, you show up to the South Alabama Film Festival. That's a great way to get to know a lot of them. They all know each other. You meet two people, and then you've got a network. That's awesome. This is actually easier to infiltrate than something like Los Angeles because it's not like these people have walls up because they're being inundated. They're not being inundated. So if you're a hard worker, if you really love this, and if you get along with people, like this is something that's very doable. Like You can get on these movies. So, um, yeah, definitely... Emoco's Film Group, Mobile Film Group, Mobile Film Scramble, and South Alabama's Film Festival. Those are the places that I would go first if you're really trying to get involved with local film. Sweet. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was fun. Cool. Thank you for having me. And that concludes this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Thank you once again, Carrie, for coming on for that really fun conversation. And next week, we will continue looking into the world of film with actress Lisa Goodness from The Actor Factor, as well as Steam Boys Radio, which you'll hear more about next week. And don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at DDiamondExp, like us on Facebook at The Derek Diamond Experience, And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Derek, D-E-R-E-K underscore diamond. And that's it. See you guys next week.